Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, last week we took a break from Proverbs, and I'm going to go back to it tonight. Um... I'm, I'm going to try. I mean, there's a lot in Proverbs, but we've already, this I think is what, the, is this the third or the fourth week on Proverbs? Kendra, do you remember? How many? This being number four. I'm going to try to kind of wrap it up and just kind of find a stopping place tonight for Proverbs. But let's see if that happens. I don't know. Because I got something else I want to do next week. So uh, we'll just, uh, we won't do an awful lot of review here. Uh, just, I'm going to kind of tack on to the end of where we stopped last week and just go on from there. So if you haven't been in one of the other three services, you go back, get the podcast, you can listen to it there. But uh, let's just kind of get the move on here with what we've got for tonight. Uh, remember that uh, the, the Hebrew word for wisdom most often found in the book of Proverbs is hakma, and it means a pounding in. It's a, it comes from a, a, applying the wisdom of God to the experiences in life. And, you know, we have two teachers in life, the word and experience. We know that the word is, is should be our main teacher. That's the, where the truth is really revealed to us. You know, there's a lot of facts in the world, but they aren't necessarily true all the time because sometimes facts that we know will change. You know, what they think is a fact today to uh, next week, you know, they're going to find out something different. But where the word of God is concerned, the word is always the same. The word is always true. The word will never change. You know, and so we also know the experience teaches us things, but it's, ne- it's not necessarily the best teacher. Why? Because a lot of people don't ever learn from their experience. They have some experiences, and the only, only thing good about a bad experience is that you learn something from it. But unfortunately, not everybody learns something from it because they don't have the wisdom to understand this was not a good thing. And so, I mean, there, there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, um, children, for instance. I mean, I can name you several instances that I know of where someone raised their children, not how they should have raised them. They didn't turn out so great. And then they wound up having to raise grandchildren. And they didn't learn anything from the first generation that they raised. So the second generation turns out just as bad as the second generation did. I even know of one situation now there's great-grandchildren involved, and I have no expectation, because nothing changed from the first generation or the second generation, I have no expectation that the third generation is going to be any different because they haven't learned anything. People don't learn anything in finances. You know, um, one of these days I'll get back to teaching uh, that short course we do, did on finances for if I, unless I can get somebody else to do it. Uh, but... I said one time, no amount of faith can make up for bad money management. No amount of faith. It doesn't matter how much you give. If you're a poor money manager, God can't help you if you don't learn from that kind of a mistake. If that experience doesn't teach you that this does not work, then God cannot help you like he wants to help you. And he wants to help you. You know, but if you won't learn from those things, you know... It's bad. Then there's marriages. You know, people go through one, two, three, four marriages, and they make the mistakes they make in the the first one, they make in the second one. Then they make in the third one. Then they make in the fourth one. You know, if you don't learn from the things that turned out badly, you're doomed to repeat them. And so experience is not the best teacher necessarily. But it's the word that we use in the experiences of life that really teach us wisdom. Amen? Amen. You can look at it this way. The word is a nail. Experience is a hammer. And the harder the hammer hits the nail, it should be that we find that word driven home all the more. Do you see that? The the things that are hard in life should just drive home the word. Just drive it in, drive it in, drive it in, drive it in. You know, cancer is not a wonderful thing, but my household has known two episodes of cancer. And, and we came out stronger on the end of it than we went in. And that's where that, that experience hammered the word in. 
that we came out stronger because of it. So that's what happens there. Go with me now to uh, Proverbs, the first chapter. And I'll try not to talk too fast, Miss Iris, but I can't guarantee anything. I won't guarantee anything. Hallelujah. We're going to talk, look at the first seven verses of chapter 1 here. It goes, uh, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so, just in looking at this, in verse 2, that word instruction actually is, the, is a Greek, I mean a Hebrew word for the word discipline. And sometimes we can hear the word discipline and we think of it in a negative way. But it's not really a negative way. Discipline is a positive action taken to prevent or correct wrong behavior. How about a regimen? You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a state of discipline. A regimen is to bring to a state of order and obedience by training and control. You know, we have to discipline ourselves with the Word of God. It has to become a discipline. We have to say to ourselves, okay, listen, I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to go participate in this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I am going to spend time in the Word. Yeah, but I don't have time. You, can, you have time. You do. Yeah, you, can. You, all can, you always can make time for what you want to make time for. It's a decision. What's in your heart? Do you desire to spend time in the Word? Then you will make time for it. You will. You know, whatever we really want to do, we'll do. But, you know, we need to get ourselves established in a place of discipline so that that Word, that wisdom can become a part of us. Um, We learn things by discipline all the time. Every time we've, we've grown up, you know, with discipline in our lives, hopefully. You know, that, that's a job. I'm going to get ahead of myself if I say that. Never mind. I won't, I won't say that. Um, but anyway, we, we need to actually get to a place where we know wisdom because we know discipline in our lives. Amen. And then it goes on in verse 2. It says, to perceive the words of understanding. Look at that word perceive. That tells you something important. It tells you that you don't get the things of God with your natural intellect. They have, to be, they have to come out of your heart. They have to come out of that inward man. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You ever, you ever read something or heard, told somebody something that the Word says, and they thought that was the most ridiculous thing they'd ever heard? Really? I'm supposed to give? Really? No, I don't have enough to give. Yeah, but if you give, you'll get back. No, 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 that's, that's stupid. You ever had somebody, I mean, they, they look at you like you're crazy. You know, I am blessed because I give. Well, why are you giving? I mean, if you give, you won't have enough for yourself. How many of us have been in a place in our lives where we didn't have enough? Didn't have enough, but we gave. We gave, and God took care of it. And when all was said and done, we had more than enough. Does that make sense to the natural mind? Not one bit. Not one bit. But see, the natural man looks at those things as foolish. But these are the kind of things that have to be perceived by the man of the heart. It goes on, it says, For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There's a place where you get enough wisdom on the inside of you. You begin to perceive things. You're so schooled in the Word of God that you become sensitive to the things that are going on around you. That's, a, that's part and parcel of the Word in cooperation with the Spirit. And when that happens, you can go into a situation, get around certain people, and you just know something's wrong here. Mm, it's not a good place for me to be. I should not be here. That person is not a great person to be around. I should, I should excuse myself. There are things you will pick up on because wisdom now causes you to perceive some things. It all comes in the inside. You can't explain it. 
I remember a lady who brought us in some tapes years ago for us to listen to a, a man that her sister was under in, in that church. And, and she said, this guy's just great, Pastor. I want you to, you know, if you got time, you know, listen to these. And so he listened to a couple of them and he put them down. He goes, I can't listen to that. And he gave them back to her later. He says, something's wrong there. And she's going, really, what? And he says, I, I don't know, but I just, I just sense there's something wrong here. And it wasn't too long, within the, within the next few months to a year, that some things came out. And, of course, that man was no longer in the ministry and all that. And she came back to him and said, that's amazing. You know, it's just, you know, you begin to perceive some things. It makes you sensitive to when God's talking to you. Your spirit man will pick things up because it's full of wisdom, because it's full of the word. Amen. Discipline, disciplining ourselves to put that word in makes us sensitive to those kind of things. Um, if you go to verse 3, it says, here's, here's what happens when we have wisdom in an operation. In us. It says that we receive, to, re to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Those are four things that the wisdom of God will do for us. Now, here this word wisdom is different. This word wisdom here really means good sense. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful option to have? Wisdom will give you good sense. You know, and, and let's face it, we all need some good sense. You know, mamas and daddies try to pound that good sense into the, in kids' heads, and sometimes they get it, and sometimes they don't. But you keep working with them, they'll get it. Same thing with the Word. If you keep working it, it'll work. Good sense will come into your life. You know, um, Proverbs 22, 15 talks about foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Well, we want to put some good sense in there. And it takes discipline to get that foolishness out. As a parent, we do our part. We put... we a natural part, and we put the Word in them so that the Word can do its part. And it's a result of a constant exposure to the Word and to the ways of the Lord. Amen. Number two, justice. That's righteousness or treating another person as an equal. Because God treats us as equals. He doesn't ever talk down to us. He doesn't look down his nose at us. He doesn't consider us inferior. He made us in his own image. And so we should never get to the place, you know, we treat anybody else any differently because we're all equal in righteousness. You know, the, God has made us all righteous. We're on the same level. He paid the same price for all of us. He gave us access to the same things. He's made us all, you know, equal sharers and partakers of the things that he put into Jesus you know, and so we should never look down on people. Then number three, he gave us judgment. And here is an opportunity for us to judge things correctly. Not to judge people, but to judge actions. You know, you, you can, I, can, I can love somebody and not love what they do. I can make it clear to them that, that, that no, I don't go along with what you're saying or what you're doing. But I care about you. You know, so we need to make sure that, that we find ourselves in a place where we're always loving people. Don't, put, don't identify the, the acts, maybe, the actions that they take with that person. Their action is not them. Jesus loved his disciples. He loved them greatly, but he was constantly correcting them. Constantly trying to guide them. Constantly trying to, to put some good sense into them, spiritually speaking. And then there's equity. That means evenness, fairness, impartiality. To treat people the same. To give them the same courtesy, the same respect as anybody. You know, in, in this world we come across people who are really sweet and kind to us. And we come across people who are not so sweet and kind. And yet we should treat them the same. Because I tell you, there's a result that comes when you treat them the same. There is. You know, I, I've dealt with numbers of people over the years in service industries and things. And I just find out, you know, that if you treat them nicely, even though they're not being nice to you, you can get a real change of attitude from them real quick. But it comes from the fact that wisdom says to treat them kindly, to treat them with respect. And so those are things, you know, that uh, wisdom will do for us. Now, if you go on here, 
um, in the next three verses, four, five, and six, uh, it, it talks about people who don't have wisdom. And what wisdom, what God, how he wants to give them wisdom. It says that he wants to give subtlety to the simple. That means he wants to give understanding to some places, say, the stupid. Well, that, sound, that sounds kind of a really nasty kind of sounding, to, doesn't it? But it wasn't intended that way. It really just means the ignorant, the people who don't know. He wants to give understanding to the people who just don't know. You know, sometimes you know something and you th it's just so clear and it's just so simple to you. You think anybody else who doesn't see that is just stupid. You know, they're just dumb. No, they're not. They just don't know. And so God wants to give wisdom to the people who just don't know. And then he wants to give wisdom to, it says here, um, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. You know, young people tend to think that they, they know everything. I did when I was young. And experience will teach you. And the word will teach you. And you don't have to be all that old to be full of wisdom. You just have to be full of the word. And yet, you got to learn it somewhere. You start when they're very young. You know, you teach them when they're old enough to just understand you. You begin to teach them wisdom. Begin to teach them how to behave and how to carry themselves and how to respond. You know, that's part of teaching them wisdom. And so, gives them wisdom to the wise, I mean, to the, to the young. And it goes on in verse 5, it says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. You know... It doesn't exactly say this, but I can, I can take this to a, another place. A wise man could be a, somebody who's wise naturally, who's wise in experience in this life. But you know what? You can sometimes be overly educated. I mean, I, I, I've known of plenty of people who were so educated that they could not or would not, I should say, would not just believe that there really is a God. Really believe that they needed a Savior. Really believe that they needed to give their life to the Lord because it didn't make sense to them. They're so wise in their natural understanding that that doesn't make any sense to them. And they, had, they feel like they have no need of what you're saying because really it doesn't make sense. How can you prove that to me? How do you know there's a God? Because they're just so wise in and of themselves. Or maybe they've had so many life experiences, they think they know everything, and they don't need the, the Word. They don't need God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I, I, I've experienced all these things in my life, you know, and I've attained this, and I've got that, and I've had success, and, and why should I? What's the Word going to do to help me? There are people like that. And so, you know, I think, I think the young, sometimes I think the old. But the Word works for every age group. The word, and word is non-existent in every age group. Every age group has an issue at some time or another. You find people of all ages, of, of every walk of life, who don't think they need what's in this book. But God wants to give his wisdom to those people, all of them. And it goes on, it talks about to understand a proverb and the interpretation. You know, you can read Proverbs. But if you don't understand how it applies to you, it won't work. But God wants to give you the understanding so that you can apply it to your situation. You might take a very obscure proverb from, some, from somewhere in here and look at that and go, how does that apply to me? Well, God wants to give you some wisdom on that so that you do understand how it could apply to you. Amen? Hallelujah. And um, so anyway... Let's see. Let's go on here. There's a practical application, you know, of this over in chapter 9. Go over there real quick. Hallelujah. Chapter 9, uh, verses 7 through 9. It says, He that reproves a scorner gets to himself shame, and he that rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hates you, Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. You know, basically it's telling you in verse 7 and 8, don't try to correct a scorner. 
You know, a scorner is somebody who makes fun of you and what you believe. Don't try to correct them. You know what it usually ends up in? An argument, a confrontation. That doesn't help anybody. All it does is make them justified in the way they, they talk to you. And all it does is make you get to a place where you find out you have to repent of something <laughs> for not walking in love. You know, it's best just not to try to correct them. Just, just be a friend to them. Just be a steady influence in their lives. Just be the love of God in their lives. You know, the scorner, they don't know any better. They're just being what they, what they know to be. And if you will just give it some time and do what Luke says, love them, bless them, do good to them, and pray for them, you will see an amazing change. And then comes the day when you'll be able to share something with them that will impact their lives. But don't waste your time. Don't waste your breath. Don't damage your testimony by trying to argue with them. It doesn't work. When I worked with Leslie for those months before I got her, before she finally came to church, you know, there were things, she was not nice to me at first. You know, that was back in 1981. And she was not nice because she thought I was there to take her job. So she was threatened and she didn't like the looks of me at all. You know, but just be nice, be kind, respectful, gentle, not answering back. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft, if somebody wants to argue with you, just remember, a soft answer turns away wrath. Have I been guilty of not doing it that way? Oh, yeah, many times, many, many times. You know, as soon as something leaves your mouth, you go, that was the wrong thing. Oh, my, if I could take, take that back. Oh, my goodness, yeah, yeah. And then you get yourself into a whole big mess. Well, just, just don't do that. In fact, as it says here that uh, he that rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blot. That's an accounting term. It means God kind of marks you up. That's a demerit. Don't do that. You're, you're making it harder for him to, for God to reach that person later down the line. Don't do that. Just, you know, walk away. If somebody wants to argue with you, just walk away. Just be kind, be gentle. Expect God to give you the wisdom to give them the right answer for right that moment, the right response, and walk away. Don't get into it with them. And it says here, uh, give instruction, in verse 9, give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase learning. The wise man is the one who wants to learn. The wise man who is the one who wants to be corrected. The wise man is the one who says, well, I don't know it all, so if you can help me learn more, I am willing and open to hear what you have to say. Then the door is wide open for you to just go right on in and just share with them what God's put on your heart. Amen? Um, let's see. I am trying my best to go through this because I've got another whole big section I want to get to tonight. Let's see. Go back to, to Proverbs 1. Verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is the reverence for the things of God. That's where knowledge really begins. It goes on to say, But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, I don't want to be counted in the company of fools. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that uh, all Scripture is given for a particular reason. In fact, go with me to 2 Timothy. Hold your place in, in Proverbs. Go to 2 Timothy. Hallelujah. Second Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. It's profitable for what? It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for rebuke when necessary, for correction, for instruction. You know, when somebody brings the word and it kind of steps on your toes, don't go, I don't appreciate that one bit. You just need to say, thank you, Lord, that hurt. But I'm willing to be open and to hear what you have to say to me. 
I'm willing because all scripture is given to be profitable. Profitable for who? For you. For you. Not for somebody else. For you. He put it there for you. All scripture is profitable. And uh, it says that we should increase in wisdom. And when we increase in wisdom, we'll increase in knowledge. We'll increase in understanding. So don't be foolish. Don't take offense at what the word says. You know, don't decide, well, I'm not going to listen to that. I don't like that. I don't, I don't agree with that. What does the word say? You, who you're arguing with. You're not arguing with the person who's in the pulpit. You're arguing with God when you say that. And God hears you. The person in the pulpit doesn't necessarily hear you. But God hears it. God knows what's in there. God knows whether you receive it or whether you reject it. Don't be a fool and reject the counsel of the Lord when it comes. No matter how it comes, no matter who it comes through, if it's the word, it's profitable for you. For you. Hallelujah. Um, let's see. Let me move on. Um, this next section I wanted to get to is there's several large subjects in the book of Proverbs. And actually tonight, if, we, if I get through this, I want you to, to know that you can come up and get one of these sheets. It's a front and back sheet. And it's got several different topics that are covered in Proverbs. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There are 15 different subjects we have, or themes, I should say, that are covered in Proverbs. They're, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. But um, we've got the, the references right here for you on these things. Some of them include uh, laziness and hard work. Oh, there's a good one. Uh, wor the world of business affairs, plans and decisions. The proud and the humble, masters and servants, kings and rulers, hopes and fears, joys and sorrows. Neighbors friends, rich and poor, poverty and wealth, wisdom and folly, words and the tongue. Oh, that's a big one. That's a nice long section. The fear of the Lord, righteous and the wicked, the family, anger. So there's some, there's some good topics here. So if you want this afterwards, you come up here and, and, and get yourself a copy of it. But um, one of the largest topics in the book of Proverbs has to do with child rearing. If you go over to Proverbs chapter 6, it starts off with my son. These Proverbs were, were written down by Solomon from the teachings that he had from his father and his mother. And you're going to find out that this phrase, my son, is found like 16 times in the book of Proverbs. And um, it's because it's basically an instruction book for children. It really is. Uh, it it um, is important. Now the, nowadays, more so than ever, you know, that we, we, we need to make sure that we parent and that we lay some things down in our children's lives that are founded on the Word. And that we maintain that foundation. You know, um, David learned this wisdom at his, at his father's feet his, and his mother Bathsheba. He recognized the value of good parental wisdom and guidance. I mean, he found out that the word was true. They would tell him things and he would, he would see it later in his life come, come to pass. You know, you raise your kids and you tell them certain things and you tell them this is how life is going to be and they, don't, they really don't understand it sometimes. I mean, how many times have, have you, maybe if you're like me, you've got kids now who now have kids of their own and they didn't understand you much, you know, when they were growing up. But now that they have children, they understand you a whole lot better. And they understand what you were saying to them back then a whole lot better than they ever did. You ever found yourself say something and you go, oh my goodness, I sounded just like my mother. That day comes in their lives too. Make sure that what they repeat was something good. <laughs> Amen. But in the Hebrew, that term son really meant builder of the family name. Because to them, it was important. You see it in Proverbs 22, verse 1, it said, I, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. See, for them, it was important that the family name meant something. 
It was important that the next generation carried on the good name of the family. And it was important that the next generation taught the next generation after them about what it meant to maintain a good family name. Uh, it's where the words and the precepts of God are put into them so that they're able to live lives that exemplify a good name, a good family name. You know, it never stops. One generation builds upon another, just like line upon line, precept upon precepts, what Isaiah said. And so, you know, that, this, the connotation here is, is, my son, I'm teaching you these things because you're the builder and the keeper of the family name. You're going to pass this on. So I want to give you the wisdom that I have so you can pass it on to the next generation. And in turn, they'll pass it on to the next generation after that, and so on and so on. And, you know, the reason you keep building on it is because you want them to have a better life than you had. You want them to have better things in their lives. You want them to have better experiences in their lives. You want them to, to, to reach higher in the things of God than you ever could. I mean, that's what it's all about. And so, you know, we see this, that, that it's a way of life, you know, for them. And, uh, you know, you, you see this, that, that re, you know, re, instruction means discipline. And right here is really talking about teaching. It's, uh, it says here in verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not the law of your mother. You know, there's a, a place here where you find out that this, this um this is really instruction. This commandment, word commandment, really is instruction. Instruction from your father. And this word means discipline. And in, in this particular passage, this phrase, the law of your mother, really is the teaching of your mother. Mothers teach their children so much. Dads are usually busy, you know, providing for the family, doing things. And so the way he teaches them usually is by example. You know, the things that he says and the things that he does. But a mother usually is the one who is the intensive teacher. I mean, we teach them so much. I, I tell PG all the time, you know, I'm sorry I have to ask you one more tech question, but, you know, don't get annoyed with me because, after all, I taught you a lot of things, you know. So, but mothers, that, that's our job is we're teachers, from the day these children were born, you know, we're teaching them how to, how to do this and to do that and, you know, everything. And so it says, don't forget the commands of your father and don't forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. Listen, um, let me find this. Um, mm No, that's not the one where I want. Let's see. When the Bible talks about bind them continually upon their heart, you know, there's a verse that says, you know, that you one day you will write, write it on their hearts. You know, we're living in the day and age where God has written things in our hearts. And now it's up to the Holy Spirit to take what's been written in our heart and lead us and guide us into how to apply what's been written in our hearts. And then to tie them around your neck is to keep them together. To keep them, it's kind of like a dog on a leash. To always be able to guide them. Let the words guide you, control you, teach you, keep you in line. You know, to, to keep you on the right path. That's what he wants them to do. It says, when you go, it shall lead you. When you sleep, it shall keep you. When you awake, it shall talk with thee. Listen, God's got so much for our children when we do this. And when they take the word and they keep them continually upon them, in their heart, keep it around their neck, let the, the word be the guiding force in their lives. You know, it's, it's one thing to bring them to church and expect Faith Island and Lighthouse, even primary, because, I mean, that's where we start. I mean, we start actually over here in the Tiny Tots, beginning to teach them the principles of faith. I remember when Briley was not even three years old, you know, and she was sick at home one day, and her mom just heard her singing, I'm so glad Jesus heals me. I'm so glad Jesus. She wasn't even three, and she was healed. 
We teach them that. Then they begin to learn more over here, and they learn more in Faith Island and more in Lighthouse, and then they get to rage. I'm telling you what, it, it just builds and it builds. And builds. But that's no substitute for what's put in them at home. It's supposed to be a compliment to what they're getting at home, an additive, but not the sum total. And yet you see people who think, 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 well, I raised them in church, but what did you raise them in at home? It's one thing to raise them in church, but so many people raised them in church but didn't raise them at home with the same way the church was trying to raise them. And so when they got older, they weren't interested. We are here to enforce what you put in them at home. You know, and sometimes, you know, I bless their hearts. I, I've seen people who didn't have, who came in, maybe their family wasn't even born again. They weren't serving God at all. And they came in maybe with the teenagers or, you know, there's a little boy who's coming, who's coming right now that uh, the Morgans pick up. Steve or Rachel picked this little guy up. He called the office one day and said, I want to come to church. He's like 10 years old. I want to come to church. Can, can somebody give me a ride? He has nobody at home that will bring him to church. And somehow he got the phone number here. I don't know how. Of course, you know, they, they called and got a hold of a parent. And I think there's a situation where it's a single dad. And they made sure it was okay. He's been coming to church. And, and he's gotten filled with the Holy Ghost. Who knows what this might be his only source. You know, and I know God will bless him because it's his only source. But that's not the ideal way to do this. The ideal way is to have a mother and a father who put the word of God on the inside of them and who teach it to their children, who put it, put it in them, who pound it in if necessary, who live a life that exemplifies what the word of God says, who shows them what it's like to live and to walk in victory because the word says I can live and walk in victory, who knows what it's like to believe God and they see how God comes through all the time for them and they come to church and it gets reinforced and when they get older it's like, why would I go anywhere else? Why would I do anything else? That's what this is all about. Hallelujah. Um, I, I, listen to this. If your child's mind is filled with the word and the grace of God in his heart, he will never be a detriment to, in society. He'll be a tremendous asset. Employers will pass over 100 people to hire him because they'll recognize that he's considerate, that he puts others first, that he's honest, he's reliable, he's trustworthy, that he has a clean mind and a pure heart. That's where favor comes in. The favor of God. Because why? Because wisdom's on the inside of them. And when wisdom's on the inside of you, favor comes with the wisdom when you interact with this world. Amen. Um, hallelujah. Because, you know, one day... We're going to turn our kids loose. I was having a conversation with Julie the other day about kids and the different ages and stages they are. And I, I laughingly said, I've, I've learned to love my children at every stage of their life, but grown is best. <laughs> so the, because the relationship is so different. You know, you're, I, I, I used to feel like there was this pressure all the time as a parent. And one day when both of them had left the house, I realized that pressure is all gone. Because it's not a 24-7 thing anymore. You know, and so I love them. But you know what? You're going to have to turn them loose. One day, that's our job as parents is to raise these children that he entrusts to us in such a way that they become wonderful people who love God, who are steady and stable, who go out and they can live life well on their own. You, when you do that, you will have no worries, no fears that somehow they'll make bad choices. But it all, it all happens in those formative years before you turn them loose. But you know, when you do what you're supposed to do, you can turn them loose with a sense of, yeah, they've got God and God's got them. Not that you ever stop praying for them. Never. They will always need your backup in prayer. But they're going to be able to do it because of what's on the inside of them. Hallelujah. Um, let's see. What verse are we wanting to go to now? Wait a minute. Let me go back to Proverbs 1. Ah. 
Go back here to Proverbs 1, verse 9. Well, let's start in verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Forsake not the law of your mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto your head and chains about your neck. Well, now, does that sound wonderful? Chains about your neck? Listen, it's talking about grace around your head. That's, That's protecting and guarding their minds. This world is so full of, of their, own, their own wisdom, their own knowledge, and they're constantly trying to put it into our children. The Word of God will protect them from that, will protect their minds from that. If you put the Word in them, when they hear this kind of stuff, if they have to give that common answer to get a, to get a, a check on the test, they'll know to put it down, but they know that's not right. It might be right for that teacher, but it's not right. They'll know what God thinks about that. They'll know what the real answer is. And when it says a chain about their neck, listen, this chain here was actually referring to a chain of gold. There's something valuable and precious hanging about their neck. Just leading them and guiding them again. It's, it's one of those places, it's kind of like a, like a leash that, that, that holds them, that's of something of value that leads them, that guides them, that helps them control themselves and their thoughts and their actions and their minds, all this kind of stuff, because they're bound to the Word. That, that thing that connects them to the Word. Then there's blessings that come from, the, on the, from the being in the Word. Blessings that come from wisdom. Go with me to chapter, Proverbs chapter 3. Hallelujah. Here again, we find this phrase, my son. And there are several different, there's a lot of different things here that are blessings because of the wisdom that comes from the word of God. Number one, you find in verses two and three, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck or write them upon the table of your heart. Listen, divine life is a blessing that comes with wisdom. Divine life. You know, it, it says in Ephesians, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. You may live long on the earth. So long life is one of the blessings that comes from the wisdom that is found in the word of God. Then there's divine favor, verses 3 and 4. Well, it's verse 4. So you shall find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. See, it's primarily we need to find favor in the sight of God first. But the favor of man is part and parcel when you have the favor of God. When you have the favor of God, he will put you in places that you could never have put yourself and there'll be people who put you in places that they wonder later, why, why did I do that for them? Hmm. There'll be people who give favor without even thinking about it. Won't even occur to them that maybe they shouldn't do this because wisdom's just all over you. The word's just there. And then there's uh, divine direction, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Listen, it's important to turn everything over to God. Every age, every stage of our lives, and this is something we need to teach our children, let God lead you. Trust in him. Don't lean on your own understanding, but always check with him. You know, there's so many things that we can we come up against that maybe, you know, we just think, okay, yeah, I know what to do. But still, it's a good thing to stop and just, just give it a check. See if, see if something on the inside says something a little differently. Naturally speaking, this is what I would do. But God, have you got something else to say? Is there something I need to add to this? Is there something I need to take away from this? Is this something I need to follow through on just like I'm thinking I should? Or maybe not. Trust him. And he'll, he'll direct you. It says he will direct your paths. That's present and future tense. You trust him now. He'll direct your paths. You know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to be with us in today's, in today's issues. He'll be with us in tomorrow's issues. There's never going to be a change in him. He's always going to be present, always going to be helping us, always going to be providing the guidance that we, that we need. He's always committed to helping us. He's already committed. 
You don't have to ask me, oh, Lord, will you help me? No, he's already said he would. He's already said he would direct your paths. But you have to let him direct your path. Your children need to understand that he will direct their paths if they'll let him. In a choice of careers, a choice of schools, a choice of friends, a choice of mates, in everything in life, he will direct your path. You know, there's, there are people sometimes who, who, get on, who, who think that they know where they're going and they don't consult God. And if they just would, there might be just some little adjustment that would make a big difference in their lives. Let him do the directing. Stop trying to direct everything ourselves. You know, I've, I've done it. We've all done it. Where we got into, into something and, and we decided we knew what was best. We didn't, we didn't stop to say, Lord, what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think? Is, is this good? You know, it doesn't take forever to get an answer. It just takes a, just a quick check. Is this a green light or a red light? It's a yes, a go, or a stop. What? What? You know, I, I was talking to somebody, and they were telling me about about a, a, a situation where somebody had uh, was about to make a decision, and they were struggling with it. They'd already they made up their minds they're going to do a particular thing, and they were struggling. With it. And I said, the, the fact they were struggling with it right there was the answer. When you know you're doing what God wants you to do, there is no struggle. There is no struggle. You know, and it doesn't matter who says what, I know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, when we left to go to Ramah, I really wasn't serving God all that well at the time. I mean, I, I just really was back in fellowship with the Lord real, real short time before that. And people tried to talk us out of it. Now, if they're going to talk to anybody, they're going to talk to me because I'm the one who was, you know, obviously the weak link here. But I was totally at peace and settled that this is what we're supposed to do. Listen, when you, it's what God wants you to do, you have a peace on the inside. There is no effort to doing the next step because you're sure. You're sure. And if you're struggling with something, don't, by all means, don't take the next step. Well, don't do it. Don't stop. You can always make up time, but if you get out ahead of the things of God, it's hard to recoup and go back to where you should have made the other turn. But you can always catch up. And it might take you a little bit of time, but you can catch up. Okay, then there's divine health is another blessing. Verses 7 and 8. Uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Where's your navel? Right here. That signifies your innermost being. That inward man, it's health to your inward man, health to that spiritual man. And then what is, what is marrow? Marrow is where blood is produced. It's the health of the outward man. It's going to be, where, where am I? Uh, health to your navel, marrow to your bones. Isn't that wonderful? Inside and out, he cares about your well-being. Hallelujah. Then there's divine prosperity, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with a new wine. Don't you think Solomon knew that and knew it real well from experience? Honor the Lord. You know, tithing, giving is not a matter of supporting your church as much as it is a matter of honoring God. When I give back to him, number one, he says the tithe is his, that it belongs to him. But when I give to him, I'm honoring him. You know, when you see it as a matter of honor, then you're more likely to be joyful than what you give, not grudging, not because anybody's put you under pressure, not because you think, well, everybody else is giving, I guess I have to give too. No, you listen on the inside. You know, where tithing is a set amount, other kinds of giving are not. You know, it doesn't, when you, when you come in, you know, and, and, and there's projects going on, listen on the inside. See what God has you to give. He may have somebody give $500. He may have you give 50 But if he tells you 500 then don't try to get away with 50 Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting in Dad Hagen's down in Lakeland one time, and it was the very last night of the meeting, and this was January of, I can tell you exactly when it was, it was January of 1995. 
And I won't tell you how I know that, but anyway, I do know that. Anyway, I, the last night of the meetings, the Lord put on my heart to put a certain amount in the offering. And I, I talked myself right out of it. I said, no, I've already given. I mean, we've been here all week. I've already given. And so I didn't do it. Well, that will cost you. And so on the way home that night, you know, we left Lakeland. You know, after the, after the service, we got a little something to eat, and we're getting on the road. You know, it's like 11 o'clock. And, and, and I said, I'll drive. You can go to sleep if you want. So I'm driving, coming up 75. It was back when 75 was under construction. You know, when those, those, they were expanding it to th- three lanes on each side. And when the Lord said, you need to slow down, I didn't listen then either. And so because of what I didn't give to Brother Hagen in those meetings, I gave to the state of Florida. I, did, I, would have, I should have given it willingly to Brother Hagen because I did not give, I gave it because of necessity to the state of Florida. So when God talks to you about giving something, just obey. Just obey. Honor him by heeding what he has to say because he's setting you up for a blessing. He wants you to prosper. And if he tells you to give something, and he tells you to give, you, give something outrageous, if you know God, and you know that's God talking to you, there is no chance that this is not going to be profitable for you. There's no risk. This is not a risky investment. If, God, if you know the Spirit of God, and you know he's talking to you, when he says give a certain thing, it's okay. There's no risk. It is a risk-free investment. And you can't say that about anything else that I know of in life. But when he's talking. But you see, it all boils down to just listening on the inside. What's he telling you? Just because somebody else got up and gave a testimony that they give X amount of dollars, doesn't mean you have to give X amount of dollars. You just have to give what God tells you to give. Honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. Every Sunday we get together in the office and we pray over our tithe and offering. And we always say, you know, that we'll always have plenty to give and plenty to live on. And so, you know, there were, there were times in our lives where we didn't have much. But when, the de- when, when, when times came and God said give, we... I learned to give, you know, because I am fairly tight with a dollar. I had to learn to be generous. I had to learn to give, you know, but I found out that God's word is true and that he will prosper you when you obey him. And today it's so much easier to give and it's so much easier to give bigger amounts than it was back then. You know, and, and, and once in a while he'll, he'll, he'll give you a figure to kind of go, really? My flesh goes, Really? Okay, yeah. Get my attitude straight, write the check. But honor the Lord. And uh, let's see. Then there's divine correction, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father in whom, uh, even as a father the son in whom he delights. Listen, when the word of God kind of gets next to you, gets kind of gets under your skin a little bit, you kind of go, Ouch. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants better for you. Because he wants you to come to another level. Because he wants you to reach, be able to go further in your walk with him. And so when he corrects you, it's for a purpose. So just know that he loves you. Divine correction. Um, our earthly father spanked us. Because they loved us. Now, I understand there are people, you know, who've experienced correction in a, in a different light. You know, that it was done out of a, out of, from a person of, of rage, anger, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what God intends. God never intended for a, a natural father to correct and punish a child. He intended for them to discipline a child. And discipline comes from a place of love. It's a positive thing, not a negative thing. It's not abuse, okay? I know spare the rod, spoil the child, you know, the rod of correction will drive it far from me. Listen, the rod he's talking about is one that's full of love. If you love that child, you will correct them. It's terrible to see a child be, be just a brat 
throw temper tantrums, a pain in the neck to be around. We had a situation one time in, in, in the Tiny Tots, and, and people in, in Tiny Tots were having an issue with this particular child. And I, I went to, to Josh at the time, and I said, listen, it's really not the child's fault. It's the parent's fault. And if you look at it that way, and we start praying for the parent and the child, I believe you'll see a real difference. When everybody understands that he's just doing what he's doing because nobody's ever taken the time to correct him. Listen, it takes time and effort and energy to be consistent with a child, with correcting them. But if you love them, you will take the time. You will give the energy. You will be constant. You will be steady. You will be stable. You will do it repeatedly. I had somebody say sometime, one time to me something about a child that I've spanked this child 14 times and, and they keep doing the same thing. And I said, that's the key. You keep on. You keep on because one day they expect to find your breaking point. You have to always win. You have to always be the one who comes out on top. You can never be the one who caves. Never. Never. If they do it a thousand times, you have to be there to correct it a thousand and one. But if you give in on 999 times, they know they won. Listen, children are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. The flesh is a lot stronger in them than we give it credit for. And so as parents, you know, we need to do that. So the, even divine correction needs to be taken as something that is good for us. Job 5.17 says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. He wants us to get to a place where we come to be mature Christians. And the only way we'll ever become mature in him is to let him correct us when correction is needed. Then there's divine happiness, verses 13 through 18. Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared to her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is everyone who retains her. Happy. Happy. There's so much value in the wisdom of God that it cannot be overestimated. Cannot be. You know, we, we, there's so many promises in the word of God to us as children, as his children. He wants us to be satisfied, content, happy. He wants us to enjoy this life. Enjoy the life that he's provided for us. And sometimes that comes as a result of the correction that he gives us. It comes definitely as the word that we put in. We're going to be happy to the degree that the word of God is in us. Our word level and our happiness level, they go together, folks. When you're grumpy and grouchy, hard to get along with, your word level's down. I'm not happy. Well, where's your word level? What happened to it? Is it kind of teetering on the brink of falling off the chart altogether? What is it? Then there's divine protection. Verses 19 through 26. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop the dew. My son, there it is again, let not them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom discretion. So shall they be life unto your soul and grace to your neck. They shall walk you, then you shall walk in your way safely, and your foot shall not stumble. When you lie down, you shall not be afraid. Yea, you shall lie down, and your sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord shall be your confidence, and shall keep your foot from being taken. Listen, God wants us to understand that we don't have to fear what anything this world brings our path. Because when he's in charge, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the circumstances that come. Oh, my goodness, I am so sorry. Uh, you should have done this to me, hon. Yeah, I didn't look at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay, let me just end with this. 
Make sure your children understand this. Make sure they understand. They do not have to be afraid. They don't have to be afraid what this world does, what it says, you know, what the, what the, what the current government says or does. You don't have to be, because the greater is he who lives in them than he who is in the world. And, uh, and God will take care of the people who come against them. They don't have to do it. Because Haman was hanged on the same gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. You let God take care of it. He'll, he'll take care of it all. And you don't ever have to be afraid of what man might do. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.